Hello, and welcome to episode 195 of Relics of Ore. I'm your host, Grybuck, and joining me tonight on this podcast are my wonderful co-hosts. We have a full deck tonight. Uh, we've got returning wonderful co-host, Spirit. How are you doing this evening, Spirit? Hi, I'm glad to be back. It was a long time, and it it, ha- it happened. Like, a lot. Things happened, and then now it's here. <laughs> the holidays were... Holidays... Hectic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad to be back. There's so much stuff to talk about. We have so much to get caught up on. Yes, that's true. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad to be back in the seat here. Uh, there was kind of a period of us being all super busy and then not a lot happening in-game, and then a lot happening in-game all at once and us still being busy. So anyway, uh, and returning to the show as well is Rabin. How are you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Um I have mixed feelings on some of the stuff we're going to talk about concerning raids and stories and anyway, but it'll be interesting. There's so much to talk about. It wouldn't be Relics of War without mixed feelings, uh, to say the least. It's true, <laughs> but I'm glad to be here nonetheless. Yeah, and glad to have you back. And also returning after a quite a long uh, hiatus or absence or, or break uh, is Eric, aka Shongaku. How are you doing this evening, Eric? I am doing very well, and I am a unmitigated ball of joy to try and uh, counterweight things. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, I mean, I guess that just means that we can be extra grumpy since we have extra joy on the podcast, Ooh. right? Yeah, there you go. I will <laughs> I will just, yes, we'll go uh, with that. It's hard to be too grumpy with what's been uh, what's been put out. We, I think we mostly have uh, quibbles or maybe some... Uh, frowns at most but uh, i don't think anybody's actually too grumpy which is good that's a good place to start so there's a ton to talk about because as spirit said we haven't done this in a while and so we're probably going to cut all of the content that there is to talk about into two or three or maybe even more episodes so tonight we're focusing mostly on story content both from the raid and from the living story so Big ol' spoiler warning, it's pretty much going to be spoilers all the way down. Um, so, it just it just feels like it's worth talking about while it's in the... Everybody's fresh, fresh in their mind what's happened in the story, and probably all of us need some more time to really uh, sink in all of the map and the, you know, events, the farms, the currencies, the etc, etc, so... However, with that said, I haven't done the new raid, so I'm pretty much going to be passing off the mic to Spirit, and uh, it's your show right now, Spirit. I, I'm not. I'm not ready. All right, I thought Spirit, Eric was going to talk about it. I, I am. I am super excited about the raid. So the raid itself dropped. I was actually kind of surprised that it was sort of a continuation of the core story of the raids, like that that white mantle. Speaking of which, spoilers, I know we mentioned that already. I thought it was interesting that it was a continuation of, of that story. I was kind of expecting them to sort of go off in a completely different direction and sort of start prepping us for the expansion pack that we know they're working on, but we don't have too many details on, the theoretical Alona uh, expansion pack. And uh, so I was kind of surprised that we that we continued with the story that they were telling, but pretty excited because there's some really interesting things that uh you fight in this that i was not expecting to actually see 
the Mersat or White Mantle dealing with, but is interesting because of just the nature of what the Mersat are. Well, uh, Spirit, do you want to tell us what the bosses are? Since Spirit's the one that's actually been in the raid, what if you walk us through encounters, then we'll all kind of talk about story? Sound good? Sure. Uh, so to start out, you enter the raid, Glenna calls you back, uh, she's found something new up in the... Actually, in Bloodstone Fen, there's a portal that has opened, and it takes you up to... Uh, oh goodness, I don't have it on this character. I think it's the Woodland Cascades. It's way north. I think it's it is. way farther north than we've ever been, which is very, very cool. So you come out of this portal, and she's there, and says, oh, there's there's some stuff in here to be explored. Come on with me. So she drags you through a magical waterfall that gives you some new abilities, like a very, um, I think the Druid Staff 3 skill, where you dash around a bit. And all, all characters have that. Um, and it actually becomes the main focus of, of the first encounter. Um, so you progress in a little bit more. There's no trash mobs or anything. You can go explore this uh, on your own if you want. There's nothing stopping you getting up to this point. Um, and in front of you is a jade construct. Um, it is different than any jade construct we've seen before. I think it's, uh, Karen the Indomitable, Indomitable is what it's called. Um, and it's very, uh, I don't know how to describe how it's different than the other ones. I don't know. It seems like brighter or maybe it has more particle effects or darker. I think, uh, Wooden Potatoes was speculating that this might be an original jade construct, like one from 250 years ago, and that's why it's so much stronger and a little bit different than the other ones. Because it follows it the was, naming convention. Yeah, it it may just be uh, not one that has been reawakened by the mantle since they've been doing been active in Guild Wars Two, but uh, up there all this time for whatever one reason. One from prophecies or before. Well, and. Yeah. I think there's some interesting stuff that we'll we'll touch on once we get more into the lore of it. But I think there there's some definite reasons why it might look pretty different than Jade Constructs now too. Yeah, I think I'll skip. I, like I don't want to go too too much into the mechanics or anything. Uh, but there is one interesting mechanic in the fight where you go into green circles. Like effectively, it's there are safe spots, but the safe spots are covered in stars. Right, which is a little bit odd. Yeah, it's full of stars. Um, the celestial aspect was weird when I was exploring the map. There's the celestial aspect, but also kind of I think it relates to um, the the phasing out, um, kind of like the, we know yeah. the Mersat have done, which um, is an interesting thing to make a mechanic that meshes a story. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. So like you said, the the popular theory there is that. Um, during that attack, we get a buff called Gaze Avoidance, and whatever uh, you know, whatever we're avoiding, we're avoiding it by phasing out of reality with Tyria, like the Mersat do. Um, I think that's the most important thing about Karen. He's not particularly difficult or particularly um, elaborate. Uh, but, oh, I think it's... I can't remember if it's that dialogue or if it's a little bit farther in, but Glenna actually mentions um, it feels like we're... Uh, almost in the skin of Tyria, which had like I I'm not the best. Person that's a bit to talk later, I that. think. Yeah, yeah, that's later. But there's a whole uh, there's a whole thing about the skin this of Tyria. This place is weird. Like the entire zone has some very 
and odd characteristics. When you get into the first fight, isn't the isn't there a particular triangle from days past floating over the boss? Yes. Oh, yeah. So the first thing you see, and this this happens over every boss, but the first thing you see above Karen the Indomitable is the Eye of Janthier, uh, which has not made an appearance in Guild Wars Two, and so uh, we know it from Guild Wars One. It was a thing we interacted with in Guild Wars 1 as a... There, there was a quest where you had to go, or a mission rather, um, where you went around and guided the Eye around Krita to meet different people and decide whether they were chosen or not. And the chosen would be eventually taken and sacrificed to the Bloodstone. So the people that we interacted with in Guild Wars 1 with the Eye of the Janthir are now... Uh, and our, probably ghosts in and Guild our Wars player too. characters were also chosen in Guild Wars One. Yes, um, and They're... I think think this is the first time that we've had confirmation. I may be wrong on this, but the raid, um, some something that Glenna says or something, um, talks about how what the Eye of Janthir was doing was finding you know latent magic ability or power stored within these people because that way they would be a higher payoff when they died in the Bloodstone. And I think I think that was like a player theory before now, but now we have confirmation of that. For this raid, yeah. So when you so when you beat Karen, um, there's a very short cutscene in which the Eye of Janthir disappears, and Glenna says, "Oh no, it's gone farther into the the cave or whatever. Let's follow it." Um, so you sort of trek up up the hill after it, and you walk into a very strange scene. Um, it's a prison, and there are dead people everywhere first of all uh many of them impaled on spears that were like thrown into them it's pretty dark and brutal uh everything is broken and just absolutely trash like something something big went down there i would i find it interesting also in the entryway there is a place where there is a you can see the prison yard and there are there's a there's a visitation room which I think is interesting. Like in the entryway, there is a series of seats, bars, and then on the other side, a series of seats, and it's the inside of the prison. Like, did did people visit their loved ones here? Probably not. Just well, I don't a know. Weird thing that I saw. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but um, from so from this room, we le- we learn a few things about the prison. Um, we know that there are humans in prison there. We know that we're, there were Jotun in prison there, and it's cool to think about because this prison is probably from the time when Jotun were more than just brutes, right? This is a prison from the Mersat days when Jotun were uh, extremely advanced magic users, extremely clever, uh, and so who these particular Jotun were that were, uh, you know, imprisoned here could have been very interesting. We don't learn a whole lot about them, unfortunately, but uh, the idea is very cool. I'm not sure. I'm not, I would say that I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, that's an interesting thought, but I'm not sure if that's accurate just with the number of humans. Although you're eh, with the way that the prison's set up, it could be older. Yeah. Well, this prison seems like, there's a strong possibility it could have been around from uh, back in the days when Mursat and Jotun and where the seers and the dwarves were all, you know, the prime um, species on, uh, on Tyria. 
from the so last there, time the dragons woke up. I would say it, that's an interesting idea, but there is a actual... There's there's a few things that go against that. First of all, it's using uh, white mantle architecture, which could be based on on the architecture of the Mursat, although we know Mursat architecture is very different. And the there is a journal in there that actually says the prisoners, which were mostly human, built the actual prison themselves with their own hands, and that it was contracted by the Mursat. And unless humans were around in the previous age, which pre-dragons, probably I don't think that's necessarily. I don't think the prison's that old. I mean, it's old, but I'm not sure if it's that old. Well, if that's true, then you, if this was an advanced um, Jotun or Jotun in there, it may it, it makes you really wonder where he came from. Well, I mean, they're dead. They're they're strung up and well, stabbed, and they look like normal Jotun, though. There, there is one that isn't. Um... In the third encounter, you actually fight a Jotun who is... I'm not sure if he's alive or sort of being propped up by... I mean, he's got dialogue, right? He speaks to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I'm being forced to do this or whatever. And it's a whole, like, you know, I'll get to... It's part of the, the mm. fight. But he yeah. he is conscious and um, eloquent. Not the... Uh, not the oafish ogre Jotun that we come to know in modern yeah. times. Okay. Interesting. But there was something else, if I'm not mistaken. There um, was a uh, uh, a cell that had um, not a Jotun, but perhaps a scaly creature. Um, what was the implication of that? Your character specifically says maybe this is a crate, but the the line of thinking that I think a lot of people have gone with is this was probably a forgotten. Yeah, it seems more likely that it would be. Because your character doesn't know. Has your character met forgotten yet? Um, I don't... Forgotten have not appeared in Guild Wars 2, to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, I think they've just been mentioned when we went under the uh, under the priory, into the secret library. Yeah, I'm trying to think yeah, if well, they, they showed up during the rites when you were reenacting the... Don't think so. Yeah, I, I think they don't either. Yeah, I, d- I don't think there are any models of them in Guild Wars 2, but I mean, our character knows a lot about them at this point. Through mm-hmm. Everything we learned in Heart of Thorns Forgotten were a huge theme um, from setting up everything, like everything around Terrier is forgotten yeah. and all the stuff leading up to Terrier is forgotten. And uh, even the Lost Precipice, the I believe the story with that is that the Lost Precipice is the the village where the people who were to become exalted were living as they were building the city and going through the process of becoming exalted. So there's, there's a lot to do with the forgotten, but not... Uh, yeah, I don't think your character would know exactly what they look like, other than that they were serpentine. And I don't think your character would necessarily think to themselves, hmm, you know what? Probably forgotten. Probably more inclined to think that uh, it's something that they're more familiar with. Would you say they've forgotten what they looked like? Ah, <laughs> I don't know. We do see a sort of a picture of one. I mean, there's a few, like, in some old stuff, you see pictures of them. So I would say, yeah, we probably have forgotten back to karen for a second though one thing that i thought was interesting about him is he's got the uh, six eyes he's got like an abaddon mask thing going on in the front of him which i didn't know how to interpret that they've always had that interestingly enough so i went down i was looking at guild wars one they've always had that multiple eye look like he he maintains he looks identical to the way that they did in guild wars one like just the structural and facial elements 
all the jade constructs in the war and Krita that as well. Yeah, and they and interestingly Uh-oh. enough, all the jade constructs in the war and Krita were called Cairn. Yes, all they the were. jade yep. constructs from other sections of the game, some of them were called Cairns, other ones ha- were called Cairn, other ones had different names. Uh, mm-hmm. So Cairn seems to be a specific series of jade constructs. So after we so after we get into the prison, what happens then, Barrett? Um, I mean, essentially, you you go poking around this room and you you do a bit of exploring and find out that there was a coordinated breakout attempt at some point, and by looting the contraband, also known as shovels, you can <laughs> dig your way into the next room, which is called the recreation room. Uh, And that is where the second encounter takes place. So in the center of the room, there's a giant, uh, for lack of a better word, chess piece shaped like a mersat. And in the room behind him, or in the half of the board behind him, because it's a a four by four grid is what this arena is. Um, The back half of it is lit up all orange. And at the very far end, there's four... Uh, essentially, again, jade constructs that are pawns. So as you activate this encounter, because you you pick up skills that give your characters specific roles as well, right? Like there's one that um, allows you to claim tiles. You can flip them over from enemy tiles to friendly tiles so that they don't kill you. There's one that protects you as a shield, and there's one that uh, dispels their shields. So it's like you guys are are picking up your own uh, special chess pieces, if you will. And when you start this encounter, the chess piece, the pawns at the back will start advancing towards you. the The big Mursat piece will just follow you around. He's he is tanked, uh, but he doesn't actually have any attacks. The he just has da- like um, pulsing damage, and then what tries to kill you is the room. Uh, every tile has spikes that come out of the floor and one-shot you, like Sabbath of Flame Wall one-shot you. There is no avoiding this, no distorting, no blocking, no evading. If you are standing in that, you are going to die unless the person you have uh, with the protect bubble saves you. But it's on a huge cooldown. It's like a two- or three-minute cooldown, so you pretty much only get to use that once throughout the whole fight. And this is the part that's the, like the Mersat version of Polymock, deadly Polymock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, you can't actually kill the ads either. The pawns will just advance across the board and you have to try and, um, the strategy for most people is, is to stagger them so that they don't all arrive at the, the close edge of the board all at once, because if they do, they get kinged like in checkers and they become a, a more, much more stronger, uh, much more powerful piece that will really hurt you. It amps up the damage that the the normal boss does. Uh, they explode in a huge, awful explosion that's a pain in the butt to heal. And uh, they also slow you in an, in an aura around them, and they are just generally nasty. What's what's the Eye of Janthier doing at this point? Uh, it's still floating above the arena, like in the center, just watching you. <laughs> you know... As you do. Like you do. Yeah. Like you do. She's sitting there watching. Yeah, one very cool thing that I haven't mentioned about this raid wing yet is that each each encounter has a challenge mode. 
the overall balance of this raid wing is way i wouldn't say way easier it's probably when people get it figured out once it's been out for a long time and people know the strategies and are are prepared to deal with them i'm going to say this raid wing is probably the easiest of all of them definitely the easiest to kill the first couple bosses um probably easier than veil guardian as well um for for getting into the challenge modes are amazing they take it up to a whole other level and they add new mechanics so for example um on the mersat overseer which is the name of this boss um in addition to all of the normal mechanics every few seconds one or a few of the 16 tiles will light up blue and you have to stand in that or you'll just die um the spikes that kill you can overlap with the blue tiles and only you can see the tiles that will save you so everyone on your team has different tiles that will save them and only you yourself can see them so it adds a whole other level of challenge like the the basic fight is pretty darn easy but the whole the challenge mode is a whole other thing entirely very very cool but the, the point of this is the challenge mode actually, or completion of the challenge mode allows you to purchase an Eye of Janthir mini. So that there is a mini of Eye of Janthir now in the game. And if you're like, oh man, I just need to have that. I love my Guild Wars one, but I, I'm just, I can't. Challenge mode raids, like normal raids, woof, challenge mode raids, woof. Uh, they're tradable. So they're pretty expensive right now. But they'll start coming down as people get them more and more. Uh, so if you really want a mini of the Eye of Janthir, keep an eye out for that. Save up some of your gold and you'll be able to buy one off the trading post soon. Nice. That's a cool way to reward raiders monetarily without necessarily like saying, well, it, it actually, rather than just pouring more gold into the market, they can make the gold, but then you get the 15% removal. So it actually is a self-balancing which is interesting because I know that you get a lot of gold for killing bosses. Well, a lot being relative, you know, 20 gold, yeah, yeah. which would quadruple you, what I currently have. You get two gold per boss. Oh, really? And that th is what a daily is worth. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole discussion there, but we don't need to get into that one today. Okay. So, I don't know, anything cool. that makes, makes spitter, uh, spirit bitter, I just almost said spitter. <laughs> I like that, That's though, my that... bitter alter ego. I like that though that there's this um different level of challenge that way it's because you know i don't have the currently have the time to put into raids and i'm kind of bummed that you know I, I can't do that but knowing that there's an easier mode and knowing that once the community has gotten better at it I'm, it might be easier for me to pug it or get in with a group of friends and do it without having to um be like oh i'm not at the top of my game so i'm glad that they're doing it. i'd like to see that farther see them further that um in raids to come that seems like a neat a neat feature for more casual players yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of excited because I also just don't have time right now and at some point I would like to uh to run some raids and and do that. Uh so after the after you fight people in the in the yard, where do you after go polymock. from there? Yeah, after after death polymock. Death mock. Um Mersamock? after uh after polymock, I guess. There's a short sort of puzzle. Like, I mean, there's not really, you don't go very far. Basically, there's a door at the other side of the room, and you walk over the door, and you're like, oh, no, it's locked. 
Uh, let's look around. And so you, if you explore around the room, you'll find sort of four keys and different rubble piles and you can plug them into the door and it'll open. Um, the, there's sort of a cool Easter egg where you can, if you have a thief in your party, they can skip this whole puzzle by just walking up to the door and opening the door. They just never met a lock I can't pick or something. I can't remember exactly what my I character know. said, but she just popped open the door. That's kind <laughs> we of went awesome. Right through. I really like the interesting class-based tweaks that they have in this. Well, I'll talk more about when we get to the main story, but yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, so you pop to the store, and immediately on the other side of it is a character called Samurog. And Samurog is like nothing we've seen before. Um, Well, I mean... We've seen stuff like him. I mean, really? he comes from a place. We haven't seen that specific, but look at his skin and compare it to, say, the hunger. That's very true. Okay, I mean, so yeah, I can accept that. I don't know if I don't know if go, they're related, but going back sorry, to Samurai though, he is really cool looking, and I was yeah. impressed with the animations that he has. I mean, he looks so. Uh, the way he moves shifts his weight on his what six arms and f- or two arms and four legs wherever he is. He's got a very odd skeletal structure, but it looks so real and it flows well. I was I was really impressed with the model. Yeah, yeah, he's got some really cool. He's definitely my favorite boss in this wing in terms of uh, look and feel. I guess maybe not mechanically, but the the whole he's huge. He's probably. Uh, Maybe not Gorsable size. He might be a little bit smaller than Gorsable. Gorsable's massive. But uh, he's one of the bigger bosses. He's definitely... Oh, goodness. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how I would compare him to a size for other people, too. And he's carrying the spears that were seen earlier in the uh, raid of the other prisoners that, prisoners that had died. Is that correct? Yes, and the whole the whole arena is lined in spears. When you go in, all these spears pop out of the ground. Actually, part of uh, one of the mechanics of the fight is he has all these sweeps and knockbacks. Mm-hmm. And if you get hit by any of them and go out of the arena, you get impaled on the spears, and it makes this horrible like sound. <laughs> it's kind of really awful, but also hilarious. That's awesome. So, so you fight him. It's a. Uh, it looks like it's a lot of uh, just moving around him initially, and hitting him a lot. Is that is that a pretty? And then avoiding like orange circles. Yeah. So his uh the sort of main flow of the fight is somebody he fixates on someone. Uh, it's the person farthest from him, and then he'll he'll go after them until he hits a ten percent threshold on his health bar, and then wherever he is. Whatever he's doing, he'll stop doing it, look at the person he's fixated, jump across the room to get to them, and start mauling them. Like, he knocks them down to the ground, strips all their skills, and stabs into them until you break his break bar. Uh, I think the attack's called brutal- Brutalize, I think it was? He was maul. I can't remember, but uh, it I is I want that on the brutal. next warrior. Is this any is specialization? This like, is this like the, oh, I forgot the name, the tree in, in uh, Fractals? Is it like that? It's just yeah, kind of like kind of like Bloom Hunger, but Bloom Hunger, yeah. I would say even a little bit more intense because he picks one person and he cannot can't be removed from them until you break his break bar. And if he if you don't do it fast enough, that person will just outright die. There's no downstate; they just die. Wow. Does he have any dialogue? He does not. 
Um, but his ads do. So once you, you get a little bit farther into the fight, um, at the 66 and 33% phases, he summons two ads called Goldem, and Goldem is a Jotun, and Rigam is a human. The, there's a really interesting mechanic with this where, um, each of those characters fixates on a different person. And in order to progress the fight, you need to kill Goldem, but Goldem doesn't take any damage. Instead, he redirects all damage and conditions done to him to Rigam. But when Rigam dies, he respawns. So the solution to the puzzle is to knock Rigam into Samurag while immobilizing Goldem so that Rigam can't move out of Samurag and then kill Rigam by killing Goldem while he's in Samurag, and then it'll take Goldem's shield off and you can actually damage him. And if you repeat this three times, you can escape the phase and go on to doing the rest of the fight. It's a really uh, intricate mechanic that we haven't necessarily seen in Guild Wars so far. Is, is that the intended design of the fight, is to knock him into, into Samurag? Yes. Interesting, okay. So you do that and you take it down... And then eventually, is there any other interesting things as far as mechanically that you want to mention um, about it before throws, we get into like... So he throws spears stories. that are turrets throughout the whole fight. Um, those turrets either fear or like, yeah, so they, yeah, I guess he throws spears and the spears have an AoE that hurts you a lot. And some of them fear you and some of them taunt you. So you can, you can take those out. You can clear those spears if you want. Uh, there's also a mechanic where... One person in the raid gets a little green circle, and the other another person in the raid gets a green circle with a big orange circle around it. And if you don't match up the little green circles, so effectively those two people have to find each other and stack on top of each other. Um, if they don't, the person with the larger circle will get annihilated by a sphere. One will just drop from the sky and just poof, do like 15k damage to them or something. Ouch. Uh, yeah, so save your friends. That, that's a thing. My, <laughs> if you get chosen by that skill, there's a like a not a subtitle. I'm totally blanking. There's a like an announcement or whatever, and it says, uh, "Choose your friends wisely." <laughs> yeah, I think it's called. According to Dolphy, it's called the inevitable betrayal. That's an awesome name for that mechanic. <laughs> there, there are some really good. Uh, skill distribution. Oh yeah, another new feature of this raid is that all of the mechanics have tooltips in the damage log. So if you get hit by something, you can, you know, go into the damage log, mouse over it and be like, "Oh, uh this is such and such attack hit me and it does this thing." That's Which is nice. really cool. It's really nice for helping figure out what uh was hurting you. Is that retroactive now? Has that been updated in all the raids or is that just this raid? I have not checked the new raids, uh, or sorry, the old raids. I don't know. I know that they broke a lot of bosses with this new uh, with this new yeah. patch. So it's possible that that is what broke the bosses is that they tweaked the skills with the tooltips and it just straight up broke them. Because I know construct. his yeah. spirits are moonwalking right now away from him. <laughs> that so this is the best time to go kill him. You're saying? No, it's a mess. Don't do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> If you can get it into the arena, the spirits are still annoying and try and run away from him because you have to kill them on top of him to oh oh so to strip it's... off his debuffs. So. Never mind. It's uh, 
So it's harder to kill them when they're fiesta. doing their when they're doing their Michael Jackson impression. Yes, it is. It gives them a plus ten to survivability. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about Samurai. Oh, uh, there is one really cool mechanic that it only appears once in normal mode, but it is like a defined mechanic of the challenge mode of the fight. At a certain point, when there's lots of spears in the arena, I think it's I think it's like a, a threat. A blah, 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 blah. We stopped podcasting, and I lost I all blah, of my blah, language blah, abilities. Yeah, I think it's like twenty percent or something. I'm not sure exactly what what point he he does this. All of the spears that are in the arena pick themselves up and throw themselves at the boss. And these are giant spears, like tree sized spears that just decide to. Whoop, and you do not want to be in the path of one of those because otherwise you'll be blah, like Hanzo arrows. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty great. I like Samurai a lot. He's fun. So you did mention with Samurai that Goldhorn set or Gold Goldum Goldum yep. says says things, and that he's actually very intelligible, unlike most of the Jot- Jotun that we know that are like. Me smash, me tall, me magic-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do they say anything else? It's You said that he doesn't want to do this, but he feels like he has to? Um, the implication... It, there's no really elaborate dialogue from them. The implication is that they are being forced to attack you by Samurag. Um, is there and that they are it- in a lot of pain for, for whatever he's doing to them. So he's got some level of psychic ability to control them even though he's not talking potentially yes um interesting yeah, he doesn't he doesn't really uh say anything he doesn't say anything particularly interesting but he does form complete sentences like you know how you know how screwed are where there's a lot of them around versus like a single yeah. script it's that sort of difference yeah. where he's he's coherent and you can understand what he's saying i mean you could talk to to Jotun, like there's the Jotun with the tr- with the trading heart that is oh, reasonably reasonably capable, which is which is why I'm not still not certain that it's necessarily a magic Jotun that you're encountering. And there's the one uh, that's in the hall. I guess. Of- yeah, the line of I guess the line of thinking is um, if these Jotun because it talks about at some point um, political prisoners being in there. Uh, if these Yotun are just normal Yotun, why are they in the, this Mursat dungeon, right? Like, what what is special about these Yotun that they had to be in, imprisoned in a political I think that prisoner? there's some... I don't think it was a purely political prisoner uh, place. And this is the interesting thing. Like, Samarog was a prisoner, which I yes. think is fascinating. Yeah, I wanted to get to that. When you get... When you run through, there's this awesome hidden achievement that Spirit was like, Hey, Shongaku, go solve this thing. It was so much fun. And you learn that Samurag and that Samurag was actually locked up. You like go into his cell, someone writes about how, oh no, he's escaped, he's gonna kill us all, and and he does because the spears are the size of trees, as you said. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's fascinating that they were keeping whatever Samurag is, I'm assuming he's a demon, a misdemon, uh like the hunger from Nightfall. Uh, for, do you want to elaborate? We'll get to. Do you, you want to elaborate that on his his um, similarities Just, between the hunger? So the coloration, like the way that the leather, like his skin is, is his sort of weird, almost 
the weird shapes that sort of go into them that are that are not like any of the other creatures that we've encountered in Tyria. Uh, th- and the only time we've seen sort of body shapes like that is when we're fighting like the hunger, when we're fighting and his other relatives in uh, in Nightfall is is the demon guys that uh, he seems. That's what he just reminded me, and that's why it seems like that. Now, have we seen? I mean, we haven't seen all of Tyria, so it is entirely possible that he's just a creature. But also then that sort of, like, psychic power that he has over Goldum and Rigum suggests that, I mean, that was kind of a thing that, like, demons would do. Like, when the hunger shows up, he's like, mind control, and like, oh, I'm gonna eat these people, and that sort of thing. And, and it seemed... Going with the uh, Versat, you know, wanting to dominate and oppress everything that they're afraid of, it makes you wonder what him or his species or whatever he is has against the Mursad. Why he's locked up there. It's also the fact that the Mursad are so mist-based and the fact that you get that weird sort of celestial mist effect in, when you're fighting Cairn suggests that this is a place where maybe demonic incursions could occur and they're like, we're going to put a capstone on that and we're going to maybe, like, things that come through we're going to capture tra- and figure out what they are and hold them here until we can figure out what to do with them. That's an interesting point about just, like, trying to figure out what to do with them because... Uh, one of the one of the questions that people have been asking is, well, why why imprison Samarag? Like, what yeah. did he? If he's just a dangerous beast, why not just kill him, right? And uh, why did he deserve to be imprisoned? Creature number two. The next boss, I think, answers that question. Interest, uh, in my opinion, which we'll talk about when we when we get to him, I guess, because I I think sure. that. I think the Mursat had a very specific purpose with that, and and that this was actually they may have been putting political prisoners here, but I think they were experimenting on them. Uh, and just there's some hints about they were using them to build the prison, yes, but then the Mursat were doing some weird things um, as far as just like pulling these de- these. I'm assuming I'm going to assume Samrog's a demon. They're pulling these demons and things in and sort of doing weird things. That uh, I mean, and the Mursat generally see humans and the other species as lesser life forms, anyways, because they're the Mursat. That's sort of how they view the world. So I don't think they'd have a problem like treating them like you know that, cosmetic uh, rabbits. One of the things that has come up again now with all this uh, this sort of exposition that has come out of this raid, um, people are drawing parallels again to the modern day races of Tyrion and the Mursat and the Asura uh, are ones that get parallels drawn a lot. Like Polymach. And like Polymach, but also architecture. Uh, thinking that people are beneath them and experimenting mm-hmm. on other races. So I think that point is, is very interesting. And the fact that uh, both of them are so, uh, they're so magic centric that they don't necessarily focus on, on people as people they focus on like what can they do with magic and then and if you notice azurin architecture and mursad architecture it's not built for aesthetic purposes it's built because it is the most magically optimal design which i think is interesting another thing mm. that i think goes to what you were when you corrected me that you think that this uh jail is uh built more modern like 250 years ago during the time of uh guild wars one prophecies era um is that we see these different races, but we don't see a seer in there. And we know that the uh, 
Mursat um, and the Seers were, you know, at war. They didn't like each other very much. And maybe since it was built in this later time period, it was after the Seers knew to stay away from them. Because going through this and knowing that there's there's monsters and other things locked up, I would have expected to see a Seer, but there wasn't evidence that there was a Seer in there, was there? No, I didn't see any Not evidence of a Seer. Of. When I first saw the uh, rags, and it's... It, so, interestingly enough, as you complete the achievement, it switches from uh, just rags for a non-bipedal creature to scaled creature Mm -hmm. which uh so when i first saw non-bipedal i was like oh it's a seer that's locked up but uh but no then there were scales and i don't think seers had scales but our character has never encountered the seers either like we don't do it does our character even know about the seers we uh we do we recently there was that um Oh goodness, current event yeah, current where events. you could go through that quest chain and reforge a shadow stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was a lot of talk about seers during that. There's also the seer path of Ra. So uh, we've been exposed to them, but definitely less than we've been exposed to, say, the Forgotten or the Jotun. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't know that we would know anything about them. But if we saw a, a you know, a seer corpse or something, our character would definitely say something about it, right? Like, oh, that's yeah, like, a weird-looking multi-armed thing. I don't even remember what they look like, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, no, they're like multi-armed Mursat without the feathers. They're sort of like dark gray skin, and yeah. You know, but I mean, yeah, do do they yeah. have scales? We don't know. Guild Wars One, their resolution was not that great. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was convinced, like, early on, before when I first started Guild Wars 1 and I didn't really know the lore or anything, I thought Seers were aliens, and I was convinced that there was a UFO oh, yeah. in one of the caves and prophecies. because like, everybody I just, thought I that. didn't know what everything <laughs> There were some lines in early Guild Wars, like, that the Seer says to you, that you're like, that it's, he, like, makes it sound like they're both aliens who have been fighting across the cosmos for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that feeling, too. I mean, that's. I think everyone in Guild Wars One at the end was like, "Oh yeah, they're totally weird alien people." But, I mean, just like humans. Yeah, uh, no, just like yeah, that's, that's the thing. You know, and they do look identical to little green men. Like they're floating guys, gray skin. They have that typical See, alien. If Mulder face. was around, he'd be able to ID them and give us the lore. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Okay, so are we ready to like go to the huge payoff? Because I'm just you know tingling with excitement. Because th- th- at the end of this dungeon, I there think... is a huge lore payoff that we've been I waiting for years. So. It's really true. I mean, like Samurog definitely resolved a lot of issues that I've had. So I think we're ready to just move on to the rest of the story. From you know, I, I don't think anything else really major happens in the in the in the raid at all. Cough. <laughs> oh, Cough. <laughs> All right, so uh, stop me if you've got more to say about Samurag, but I'm going. Um, so, but the Eye of Janthir. Yeah, so the Eye of Janthir, as, as you defeat Samurag, the Eye of Janthir retreats again after every boss is a cutscene where it's just like, ah, bye. It's just like a short cutscene of the eye shaking and then it disappears. <laughs> it's really, it's no, like no, no, no. That seems, that seems like something <laughs> out of a Zelda game, you know? It, oh, it's straight up out of a Zelda game. There's even like the do 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 There's not, there's not, but I could oh. hear it in my head. Someone um, needs to do an edit of that video and just, like, put that on YouTube. So the Eye of Janthia retreats yet again and moves. You can actually see the Samurag Arena is sort of on a balcony overlooking a big circular platform. Dun, dun, dun. So you come around the corner and there's a place where you can look out over it and glide down to it. And as you do... There is a human man 
shackled to the platform. Uh, he's got a very, very, very cool. Um, he's like a. I don't want to say backpack. He's. The, it's chained like a up to a shrine. Yeah, he's yeah. chained up to a shrine with all all sorts of candles on it. It looks amazing. It's it's a uh, lot like it, it's a lot like the like the classic uh like claps the stocks except because it's got like a place for like a head and that sort of thing. But yet then with like the weird candles and stuff, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. So. Uh, yeah, and at, at this point, he's called the Shackled Prisoner. So, when you're ready to start the fight, you run up to him, and he goes, No, no, stay away! You'll let him out! And then, the Eye of Janthir chooses a person in the raid, and, uh, like, as a raid mechanic, it puts a green circle around you, and you and anyone standing in that green circle will be teleported to... Now- Sorry, go ahead. Now, um, I don't know if this is before or after, and I'm... Now, Glenna, we talked earlier about how skin, um, we're at near the edge of the skin interior or something like that. Has Glenna mentioned mm-hmm. that yet, or is that yet to come? I think, I don't know. I've only, I've only done this raid twice so far. I think she so I probably know, mentions it, it after yet. Cairn, because as you're walking well, yeah, it's across after Cairn, the... But I'm wondering if it's um, after this fight or before, because that kind of plays into... Uh, what goes on with your your character phasing out, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so anyone in this green circle, whoever's chosen by the Eye of Janthir, gets teleported to the Demon Realm. In the Demon Realm, it is an alternate version of reality. It's the same platform, but totally, like, corrupted and gross. And there's the same statues around the outside. But instead of a man being chained in the middle, there is a massive, crazy-looking demon. That's so reminiscent start... of uh, Nightfall, the Nightfall campaign yes. in Guild Wars Original. So reminiscent. Which is so... why I think Samurai. Yeah, the start of the fight is essentially you, you're defending the prisoner uh, from ghosts called Greed and Pride that run to him and try and explode on him and to kill him while part of your team goes to the demon realm to kill these statues. And once you've killed all statues, actually it's really cool. Uh, as you destroy statues in the demon realm, they become destroyed in the normal world. And the chains that bind the prisoner to his shackles uh, disappear as you kill them in the demon realm. So once you destroy all of them, you free the prisoner from the shackles. He stands up and reveals himself to be Saul D'Alessio. Bum, bum, bum. And at this moment, the demon that you have freed now from the, the demon realm Who's jumps Bob? out uh, and lands on the platform. And I can't express to you in audio how cool this is you really just need to go look up the cutscene somewhere. If you can find someone who has cleared the raid you can go in there, and Glenna has all of the cutscenes for you. So there's one for Samurag, there's one for Deimos, who's the name of this demon we'll be talking about in a moment, uh, and there's one for the end, the cutscene you get when you when you finish the raid. So you can go check all of those out in game if you want to. They're all I'm pretty sure they're also on YouTube. Uh, if yes, not from Guild Wars 2, I'm sure they're on YouTube from some of the fans at this point. So you can go find those. 
he is crazy looking. He is like a super buff man, but he's also got these crazy horns and like all around his shoulders and his chest are hands. Like he's got hands growing out of his hair, like his body that like a hedgehog has spikes or something. And they're all grabbing and grasping and just moving constantly. It is super gross. And a weird symbol on his chest. Yes. Yeah, he's got a fiery symbol. The interesting thing is, so I watched the video of him showing up and I watched it a few times and then I like recorded it and paused it a few times so that I could actually like see some stuff like i took some screenshots those hands are trying to strangle him which is really really interesting yeah there's hands trying to strangle him there's hands ripping at his uh at his mouth like they're they're grabbing him they're attacking him which i think is fascinating and connects again to my theory that this was an experimental place where samurag was a demon that they were like holding in reserve for when they were going to create this weird and they were taking humans and like attaching them to demons for some reason anyway so fighting demos um i'm trying to think of what to say about demon demos is certainly the hardest boss in the wing um this is the one the karen took us and mind you we're experienced raiders now we've done you know been raiding for over a year done all the previous wings so the first boss took us about an hour to our first kill the second boss took us about an hour and a half um samurag took us two maybe three tops Deimos took us 12 uh it is mechanically intricate in ways that again we haven't seen in guild wars 2 yet it's fantastic to to sort of puzzle these out um there's almost three tanks in the demos fight there's the one that actually tanks demos and guides him around the platform and then there are two tanks basically that are dedicated to managing different mechanics so that they don't bother you so as you start moving them around or as as you start the fight the person who one of your tanks kites what is called soul feast And it places these AoEs that are grasping hands on the ground uh, that try and grab you and damage you. And if Deimos walks over any of these, he gains a stacking power buff that doesn't go away for the rest of the fight. So you need to keep these well away from him. But they also hurt you a lot. And this is like, mechanically, this has become uh, a fascinating thing to me because we're seeing a lot of roles develop that we haven't seen in raids thus far it's an incredibly sustaining job like you need to be very self-sufficient to do this and so we're starting to see things like ventari revenants and healing ngs do stuff like this which is just fascinating to me like i love i love all the build build craft that's going on right now uh as people figure out how to how to navigate this mechanic um so you stack all these up and they don't go away until a certain point in the fight. So you have, you've got this person who's responsible for just managing the platform, essentially, and making sure that these AoEs never get in the way of your party or your tank. So the rest of the group is cooperating with Saul now to fight Deimos. Saul is really cool 
because he has all of his Guild Wars 1 bonus mission pack skills. Um, so he's got the banner that heals people, and he casts that on the, the kiter to help keep them alive. He's got Unseen Signet, which makes you deal more damage to the boss. He's got, uh, there's like a movement speed buff, and there's a ward. Um, Deimos will occasionally do a, an attack that covers the whole platform and will down you if you're not inside this ward. So as you damage him down to 25%, or to 75%, Again, the Eye of Janthir will pick someone, send them up into the Demon Realm, and anyone who is in the Green Circle can go with them. And what you find in the Demon Realm now is not Deimos, but an aspect of Saul himself. The first one you find is the thief, and you have to stop him from stealing your boons by breaking his break bar over and over. It's these really fast, uh, low intensity break bars that you just have to make sure to keep hitting over over time to stop him from stealing your boons because that'll just ruin your day if you don't do that and as you get the aspect of Saul to 50% he teleports you back to the normal realm and now you've got normal Saul Saul the Saul the thief dark Saul <laughs> dark, dark souls. souls. There's a lot of uh, dark souls imagery and dark souls imagery as well in the, in this whole wing. Uh, and Deimos and the hands. So at this point, uh, Deimos pulls all of the hands that pe- the kiter has been kiting for a few minutes now to him, and they they spaghetti arm their way across the platform and damage anything in their path and try to get to Deimos to to be eaten by him to get that buff. While you're doing all this, Saul is talking about his life and his history, and he he talks about how he he turned to thievery because he couldn't support himself. And then you get down to 50%, you get teleported back, and then there's a new aspect of Saul. There's the gambler, and he's got a whole different mechanic where you have to... It's one of those ones where he splits into four things, and you have to figure out which one is the correct one. Um, and then he comes back and he talks about, oh, and then I turned to gambling, I couldn't stop, blah, 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 stuff like that. And there's this whole, it's woven very well into the fight where there's this back and forth between Deimos and Saul uh, sort of explaining who he is and what he's done to the, the player character. Um, what else is important? I feel like there's, oh, so at 50, no, 60%. He starts spawning these little orange circles, which then turn into black AoEs called Rapid Decay. Um, if you did WoW rating, you might be familiar with the Defile mechanic. That's what these are. If anyone touches them, they grow. So any, any player in them will cause it to grow, and eventually they will cover pretty much the entire platform. So you can't ever touch these. So this is your third tank. The, the, there's a person who's responsible for making sure that these circles drop on them and that nobody else stands in them so that, uh, you know, they don't cause any problems. I, I find that, like, the, I find it really mechanically rewarding to have sort of the, the three tanks coordinating where they were going to do all of this stuff to, uh, make sure that it wasn't a problem. Like, I thought that was very cool. It's probably my favorite part of the fight. Um, 
trying to think. Uh, at 25%, there's another Saul aspect, which is the drunkard, and he is a butt and a half because he has the thing where you have to break his break bar really fast, otherwise he'll knock you all around. Or Yeah, so what he does is if you don't break his break bar, he teleports everyone on the platform to a random place, which if you land in one of those rapid decays, guess what? The whole platform is covered in bad. So you need to. Is there a time to make limit? Sure that he just can. if you land in one of those. What do you mean? Like, uh, I've, when you explained it at first, I thought if you land in one of those rapid decays, it like grows out and encompasses the platform. So, so do the, you have? Go ahead. It it grows incrementally, but if one person lands in there and then it expands into two more people, then it grows twice again, and then by that point, it's in a bunch of people, oh, okay. and then it's max size, right? So. It's really important that no one steps in them because once it grows, it's really hard to stop it. So like you were saying, you just have to make sure you break him down before he teleports people. Right. Otherwise, things can end really badly. Um, when you get to 10%, there's a dialogue. And I, I honestly, I don't know what they say. Um, I'm sure you can look it up. There's, there's kill videos of Deimos out. Uh, I have been screaming and pulling my hair out <laughs> both times I've done this so far. Being like, okay, 10%, okay, we can do this. Um, so I have no idea what they say to each other, but Saul and Day must talk to each other for a little bit, and that's great. And then so he teleports you all to the demon room. So I watched what, uh, what he says, uh, and basically, after you've fought Saul's inner demons, his, his three key inner demons that the Mersat have been using to torture, torture him, uh, he says you no longer have control over me. And Deimos says, oh yeah, well look at this, essentially. I mean, that's a that's a summary. I, I Yes, I paused that on your kill video that you have up. I was like, cool. what did they say? And I went back and I watched it. I was like, pause, pause. Because I am not good enough to fight Deimos, much less get him to 10%. So yes. he teleports you. Yeah, and once you get to the demon realm, he is no longer normal size demos he is world boss size demos it was such and, a, that is so cool yeah his top half like leans up over the platform and he's got these giant arms and tries to smash you and it's really it's not it's definitely not the most difficult part of the fight but it's very cinematic um so it was a cool it was a cool surprise for our first it, time it seems there. like it carries this weight of like interdimensional dread it's like you're in my realm now and I'm bigger and badder here. Yeah, I've seen some very, very cool kills. The first, uh, it was the world's second kill of Deimos. He almost wiped them in the demon realm, but a warrior vengeance and killed him. Whoa, that's oh, awesome. That's, that's pretty gar That's That's pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> and then there was another one a couple days later where he downed everyone there was one ranger alive in the down state and he couldn't even reach the boss his pet was just resing him and saul d'alessio like the npc killed the boss and they were like <laughs> good for saul good for the npc yeah that was the most impressive thing i've ever seen an npc do in guild wars 2 yeah so so some very very cool moments uh in the demon realm and he does this uh his death animation is like him falling backwards into the mists. It's very cool. Just and then you all get teleported to the normal platform, and then the raid is over, and I'm very sad because I want more bosses to kill. 
<laughs> but there's all kinds of cool story stuff, which I'm sure Eric has a lot to say about, right? Oh my goodness, so much. So much to unpack. First of all, uh, you get that awesome video, Saul D'Alessio saying that they took me here, they wanted to break me because... Hold on a second. For anyone who didn't play Guild Wars 1 or know what we're talking about, Saul D'Alessio was the founder of the White Mantle. He was obviously a drunk and a gambler and a bad person that was exiled to the wilderness and um, found the uh, the Unseen Ones, the Mursat, and you know became the founder like of the White Mantle, that religion. And he disappeared at the bonus mission, bonus mission pack um, that we had in Guild Wars 1 um, after like Spirit was saying he had these skills that he uses in the raid, which is so cool. Um, and we didn't know what ever happened to him until now. And that's what... like nearly a decade of uh, un- loose ends have finally been tied up. So that's what's really cool about this. Go on. Yeah, that's why that's why everyone who played Guild Wars 1 is losing their mind. Yeah. yeah. It was it was interesting. So essentially, yeah, and you and you see after the bonus in the bonus mission pack what you see happens is he's he's there the Mursat kill his men and he says, "I'm out. I'm done. I'm not I'm not I'm not working for you anymore." And they're like, "Okay, fine. Well, we're just going to go kill all this char army that's marching on here." And he's like, "I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to sell my people into into your slavery." And they say, "Okay, well, we're just going to haul you off then." And so they do. And that's that's kind of how the that bonus mission ends. And this is the continuation of where did they take him? Well, they took him and they locked him up and they stuck a demon inside him. They created a room have you guys been did spirit did you get into the room with the voices off to the side there's a room that basically saul relives the worst moments of his life uh and it is designed so you get to listen to those moments the one where he's gambled everything away and his life is being threatened and that and it's interesting because it sort of changes the story that saul kind of tells you because he gambles his life away and they threaten to kill him if they if he can't pay so then he turns to thievery to pay his debts and he ends up killing people and in order to deal with that he starts drinking heavily but he can't afford it so he tries to gamble to get more money and it becomes this spiraling uh just series of events that eventually led leads to you know choices that he makes that leads to where what he becomes uh which i think is is really fascinating uh, yeah, if you see. if you make your way into this room, it's basically like a it's a rectangular room that's almost entirely dark, uh, and there's a spotlight in the middle. So when you approach this room, you actually get teleported into the middle of it, and it's really disorienting and overwhelming because you start hearing all these stories at once. Like, uh, there's a ton of dialogue playing. If you go to the different corners of the room there's little ghostly items like a a bottle of alcohol or a pile of coins or whatever and as you go to these items you can hear clearly the story surrounding that item so the the segment of the story where he's having a conversation about his his alcoholism or his gambling or the the thievery and then there's another corner of the room where you can hear him overcome with regret for what he's done um very very cool area to explore yeah. and and that is and it is it is and that that i think was one of the most interesting storytelling moments i've had in guild wars like they've had some pretty in guild wars 2 they've had some they've had their moments where they're really good but that was just a fascinating way of communicating the story about the character uh i i'm not sure I, if necessarily it needs to oh go ahead Ram. 
I really liked how Spirit was saying how they weaved the the battle and the mechanics and him telling the story as you're doing that. I thought that was done very well, and it just kept, it it was really neat to see that and how he's telling his story when you're fighting. It was just really cool. Yeah, and I think it and it's interesting because you get a little bit different perspective on it than it sounds like when you go into into the room too. So it's you know unreliable narrator narration, which mm. I think is interesting. Uh so there's a few there's a there's actually a lot to unpack from this from just the insinuation of Deimos, which is one reason why I think Samarog is a demon is because Deimos is definitely a demon, but there's something that's been done to him. There's a seal that's been put on him of some kind that's keeping him here, keeping him trapped inside of Saul D'Alessio um or inside the structure that is holding Saul D'Alessio perhaps. Um and well, this- the what we've been talking about makes me think, and I hadn't thought about it, I just thought about this since we've been doing the show here. Um, what is this, how does this relate to the door of Kamali? And were, was part of the reason that the Mursat wanted to keep it shut is because they didn't want the demon buddies come and rescue and their friends that they've got in this jail. Um, I mean, is there some sort of dynamic there that we never knew about and now there's being some light shed on it? There could be, or they were, or things that made it through the door of Kamali. Uh, they were yeah. capturing and 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 sticking. Although that was mostly the titans, not necessarily demons. Although there were demons in the in the, the titans realm of come from the same the realm. Time. Well, the demons don't come from the realm of torment. They were attracted to Abaddon in the realm of torment, uh, and his power and his corruption, according to Guild Wars two or Guild Wars one lore. Uh, I mean, that's I mean, Raza, for example, was a demon, and he was a sort of attracted and found himself within the realm of torment, and that's where you where you find him. Uh, so not all demons are necessarily evil. Uh, but getting back to Demo, Demos, there's that there's that sigil on his chest. It's like they were keeping him trapped, and Saul D'Alessio says that he was being tormented and kept. Was he being kept alive, spirit, by the Eye of Torment or the Eye of uh, the Eye of Janther? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that Glenna. Glenna explains to us afterwards is that um, the reason Saul was able to sustain himself, and actually uh, at the at the conclusion of this fight, he does die. Um, there's there's no more no more Saul after this raid wing. Um, he was being kept alive by the Eye of Janthir, and now that the Eye of Janthir has fled, uh, he wasn't able to be sustained anymore and has perished. But the other interesting thing that Glenna says about the Eye of Gen Theory is that it's sentient um, and that it is making these decisions. And I don't think we knew that previously. No, I don't I think, think so either. We, we thought right. it was being directed by other people rather we thought than... It was, we thought it was some sort of machine um, that the uh, Mursat had created, or maybe the Mursat and the Seers, now that we've learned more things recently. But the mm. fact that it's sentient, it's not... Is it is it a magical computer program? Or is, it, or is it a bean? We don't know about it. I mean, that raises so many questions as to what, what is it. Yeah, and what's also interesting is that there is a hint that the Eye of Janthir was not made by the Merciers or Mersat. It's something that they found, so possibly yeah. from a previous age, which I think is really interesting. And I think it is interesting that they were using demons to torment Saul, which is why I think Samarog was there, is they were holding on to him in case they were like, well, Demos didn't succeed, so let's send Samarog in. Or perhaps if they captured another person that they wanted to pull a Saul D'Alessio on, maybe they were just holding on to Samarog to do the same thing and stuff him inside of uh, inside of that. And maybe because the skin of Tyria is so thin there between it and the mists, it's an optimal place to do that with demons. 
I don't know. Well, that makes me wonder. We're talking about the hands and how they're grasping at uh, Demos, and you know, there's this was like, what if the, what was going on with Saul is what has happened to many humans before? And there's incorporating human souls into this guy, and that, that's that's what's going on. It's all envy style. Yeah. Or or Orcival to pull directly. Yeah. Guild Wars, which is envy style. Yeah. From Full Metal Alchemist. If you don't know what that is, go watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Cannot say that enough. It's good. It's really good. So I was fascinated by the by the demons. Uh, by the there's a little bit of insight into Mursat tokens, which I think is fascinating in this raid. If you do the 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 stuff afterwards, it's you look at the the Mursat tokens. Basically, uh, Nicholas the Traveler in Guild Wars One says that he doesn't know what they're for or what the Mursat used them for. In Guild Wars One, the only use really was to give them to Nicholas to the Traveler or turn them into uh, glittering dust. And Nicholas says that they scare him and that he feels like if you broke, if you, if the Mursat like did something weird with the seal, it could break Tyria, which I think is interesting. Uh, and they're and they're all over the place in this raid. Like they're just scattered on the floor. You find them in various places. Uh, and the statues, those old Mursat statues that you see, like those weird gold statues, have the symbol t- written on them. Uh, you actually find a book that talks about how to make the symbol, and your character gets weirded out by looking at the book, uh, which I think is fascinating. So there's something weird going on with that symbol. It's not the same symbol as what's on on Demos, but it is. It's it's interesting, and I'm curious to see where they go with that because it seems like they're teasing something there. Yeah, I have to look into that. I actually, uh, so the achievement we were talking about earlier, where you go and sort of explore and have to figure it out. Um, there's a ton of interactable props all around the raid, and some of them have more information for you if you interact with them in a certain order. So, for example, if you visit a corpse, uh, it might not say anything about it, but then if you go interact with a letter, then if you go back to the corpse, there's sort of a context for that, and it says, oh, this is the, you know, the person who wrote the letter, blah, 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 and there's more information for you to find if you search things out in a specific order. Um, so I've done the first half of that achievement, but not the second half, and I haven't actually found out anything about the tokens or the book yet, so that's really cool to hear. Um, yeah, the that's a it, that was a lot of fun to to find that, and I really, it, I mean, it was almost. I've been playing way too much Dark Souls of late, and uh, it was it felt a little bit Dark Soulsy in the story where you're getting little fragments and you're sort of like piecing it together. Um, there's also a section with the talk. There's a, also part of the achievement that is about Samarog and sort of him specifically, uh, which feels like a interesting which is another reason why i think he's probably a demon uh just because of of that context as well so very interesting very interesting stuff in the raid and i am curious to see where they go with it i am also very curious to see if maybe samurag is a type of demon that you know if we if the leaks that have come out i'm not sure if we're supposed to if we're allowed to talk about leaks just from a general perspective no okay if for some reason we ever make it to Alona, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see if maybe like Samarog's a type of demon that you know shows up. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be heartbroken. In the in the past, um, 
a couple bo- enemy types that had only appeared in raids previously have now appeared in the open world. So the Sloth Queen, for one, in Ember Bay, and the Unbound Guardian in Bloodstone Fen both first appeared as raid bosses. And I, I wouldn't be heartbroken at all if Samurag or some of his ilk appeared in the open world because uh, that is something cool enough that I I would be happy if everyone could experience that. Yeah. Coming away from this just a little bit, but still related, I'm interested and hoping that this, you know, storyline doesn't just stay, you know, in raids. And I want to know why, does the demons, do they have some sort of connection to the dragons? I mean, is the dragons losing their magic or what's going on with magic? Is that weakening Tyria and this trying to merge in with the mists? That's kind of out there, but I mean, I want to know, how does this play in the grand scheme of things? I mean, I have crazy theories about that. Oh, but don't get started. I mean, I, I can summarize them quickly. I saw someone theorizing today about how Queen Jenna is actually dead, and I was like, "Wow, this is such an Eric theory." What? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we all know that she was murdered by Codicus, and that uh, Countess Anise is just keeping up the appearances. I the tinfoil hat is strong with you, Eric. <laughs> Uh, clearly she's barefoot all the time clearly it's livia uh yes it's livia yeah didn't you read sea of sorrows <laughs> i actually didn't it's sitting on my bookshelf and i still haven't read it have you not oh it's the best of the three i know that's what people keep telling me and i'm like ah, oh, i should read it someday i don't read books anymore really books i, I don't i haven't read it either but how can it be better than the dougal keen one the dougal keen one was so good it it's not that much better than it, but it is definitely Okay, better. okay. I'm okay. kind of glad you said that. But I know I got to read it. So my quick theory is that the dragons exist as a system where the reason why we haven't had massive demonic incursions is because magic keeps getting like eaten by the dragons, and demons are attracted to large concentrations of magic, as we learned from our good friends, uh, our good friend Abaddon, when we invaded his realm, and the demons were all attracted to it uh because it wasn't protected it was i mean it was it was a locked realm but it was to keep things in not let things or it was to keep things in not prevent things from getting in uh so once the demons got in there they were like oh i'm i'm stuck uh which is probably why you got such a intense buildup around abaddon is because they get in it's like a fly trap for demons and so maybe the dragons have been in some way preventing significant demonic interest in the ley lines of, of Tyria. And we may be seeing that change now that the uh, dragons are going the way of the dinosaurs. What I got from that is that Abaddon was your good friend. I, <laughs> hey, I danced with Abaddon. We had dance parties. He did some cool hand moves that insta me, but, you know, oh, I'm a I necromancer. I'm cool with that. For those who uh, have not ever experienced the Abaddon Death Dance, there is a section in Living Story Season 2, or Living Open Living World Season 2, where there is an Abaddon statue, dance in front of it. That's that's the only thing that I can say about that. Oh, that just brings back memories of Guild Wars Nightfall. Trolling and, people in that. Oh, I, we had guildies that would get so upset when you did that to them. <laughs> just like, inordinately upset. It's like, it's a joke, dude, relax. <laughs> Unless you killed somebody's survivor. Oh. That's the only time you should do it. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's amazing lore payoffs in this uh, this update. And we're just talking about just the raid. So, man, is there anything else? 
that we want to touch on, or are we getting close? I mean, I I think we need to move on if we want to yeah. get to the story at all. Today. Yeah, we're, we we're already an hour much, and fifteen we're minutes so in. It, oh, the are raid we was that pretty far sweet. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, that was way too long. Then <laughs> I'm pretty sure we covered everything that needs to be covered. Unless yeah, we're I mean, go into wild Eric tinfoil hat theories. You know mm-hmm. the. the, the uh, you, uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast. I feel like, you know, if we're not tinfoiling hatting it, it's uh, why am I here? <laughs> hamster houses. Oh, hey, they kind of gave us hamster houses. Uh, speaking of which, the new the new decorations are amazing. Uh, but I don't I mean, that's pretty much all of it with the raid. I the I have Jan there. There was a weird sort of. I was confused as to whether or not the Eye of Janther was keeping things young, or if it was the area itself. The demonic influence? No, no, just like the weird, like, magic of the area because it was so oh. close to the mist. Oh, okay. Uh, because once you, go through, once you go through that weird waterfall and you get, like, that energized, like, spirit thing, and then the fact that Saul D'Alessio is not aging, was that the Eye of Janther that was doing that? It seems to suggest that it was, or is there something else about that area that's almost like the Briar Patch in Star Trek? I don't know. It's it's hard to speculate about because we've never been to the Woodland Cascades before, and I yeah. I did double check. It is it is the Woodland Cascades is is the area of the uh, of Tyria where it is. And I don't think we've ever been there. No, it's way further north. Either game. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's we've been underground adjacent ish to it, but not yeah. It's north of where the Azura first showed up, isn't it? Yes. I'm just going to grab a quick uh, Guild Wars 1 world map, take a look, then a book, reading Rainbow. Yeah, we were almost directly, like, the the Norn section in Guild Wars 1 was east of it. So we've we've never been that close to the uh, Isles of Janther either. I've always, yeah, I've always wanted to go to the Isles of Janther, like as a explorable region. Yeah, I wouldn't. I think we might get it as a raid. In all honesty, I think. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of hope not. I as cool as it like. Don't get me wrong; it's been super cool to find out all this stuff about Saul and and learn about the Mersa and stuff. But I am, I'd be okay with doing tackling something entirely different for a raid. I was talking to to Christian about it because um, we we were both uh, also very excited about all of the story stuff and and talking about it. Um, it uh, it brought back Guild Wars One nostalgia in all the right ways, and I um, as cool as it would be to go check out other stuff, I also wouldn't be heartbroken if we just got a bunch of like. Guild Wars one greatest hits uh, like a uh, raid that's just some really cool fights from Guild Wars one reimagined in Guild Wars two and incoherent and stuff as well. But also, like I'd be totally, you know what? Listen, raids are so cool. Like they're like at this point they're so well done and well just just well executed mechanically and story wise uh, integrated into each other i I'd, I'd be up for anything pretty much for raids uh i could i could do more mersat i could also not do more mersat i could do other stuff and i could just yeah 
Braids are I great. I think I love we're braids. hitting the end of the Mersat storyline, though. I mean, aside from exploring the Isles of Janther, I'm not sure we've got much more with them to go. Uh, with the reveal at the end of the living of the living world story for this event, for this for this section, I'm not sure if if we're, we're. I think we're coming pretty close to the end of the White Mantle Mersat storyline. In all honesty, I think we're getting an end cap on that within by the end of this current living world it seems so i i'm we might want to go into that more at the end of the living story yeah especially i mean oh my goodness so oh it's oh. just well food for thought we don't know where casimir's been right most powerful mesmer that's out there pretty much we just learned that lazarus the dyer is, is not lazarus the dyer and and what's her name? Uh, Ma- Marjorie. Marjorie was super cool with going off with this new Lazarus the Dyer that we know is not actually Lazarus the Dyer, but is a fake Mersat illusion. It's an illusion. Oh my god! So is Casimir think... running like a double blind on us? No. I. I, I, I the, the, the That's way golf. too far. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. fell off your tinfoil boat. Well, it nope, it nope, works nope. though. This is this it is living totally story speculation. Works. Okay, yeah, I know. I mean, it kind of ties into the raid. No, and, it doesn't. And it ties into like it us doesn't. being done with the Mersat storyline because Lazarus the Dyer is not around, so there's no more Mersat because no one's resurrected him yet, and we blew up the Bloodstone, so we can't bring back a Mersat anymore. Oh man. This this always happens though. Were you expecting anything different with with Shongaku <laughs> back on the show? No, not I even a little bit. Casimir's running a double blind. I don't know why, but uh, it makes sense. Come on, that doesn't even work as the name of the episode, even though it probably will be. Casimir's <laughs> double blind. Hey, fifty uh, Fifty Shades Darker came out, so we can maybe try and make what? that a, a what? reference. <laughs> what? <laughs> You just sharp turn and then a 180 and a sharp <laughs> yeah. right, and I am like, I am way far in the ocean now. 360 <laughs> degrees and walked away. <laughs> yeah. Okay, is there a cast cast? I just, I, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Uh, hello and welcome to Cast Cast, the podcast within the podcast about the cast of other podcasts and the style cast of other podcasts. I'm so glad I didn't lose that. Oh my god. Uh... There is a new podcast out and about. Uh, last, I think it was the last episode we did, uh, we recorded with Celeste and Alona, um, who at that point were closing down their time on Guild Wars Reporter. And since then, Alona and Hunter from Hunter's Insight and Hashtag from the Guild Wars Reporter community I uh, have founded a new podcast called Hosts of Ascalon, and you can find them on the Tweeters and the Facebooks and the iTunes and all wherever you can find podcasts. Uh, and they are making a wonderful new show to continue on, uh, yeah, keeping up with the Guild Wars 2 community. So you should go check them out. They, they've been doing polls every week, which are uh, extremely controversial in the sense that this week it is... What should a new back piece be? Capes, no capes, uh, more capes, or a fanny pack, or something like that. Yeah, the other one was marionette wires. Uh, okay. I want a fanny pack, and then I want a new toy to be released that is roller skates. 
that your character can roller skate they around can wear, on. Wear the Guild Wars yeah. Two uh, ball cap. Yes, and the T-shirt. And the T-shirt. I voted capes just because I know how much Hunter hates capes. Uh, I I voted no capes. What? Are you on the anti-cape bandwagon? I, I thought I knew you. I think they're tacky. But what? they're like Guild Wars is. Yeah, Do you okay. think Superman is tacky? Hold yes. on, hold on, youngling. Hold on. <laughs> you came to the Guild Wars train way too late to say the guild to, to like anybody there from early Guild Wars knows that that capes are in like iconic Guild Wars and they're almost all, intrinsic. A list of tacky things that exist in Guild Wars Two is so long. <laughs> It is true. That doesn't I mean, need to get worse. Listen, listen. If capes ever get in, if capes ever people, capes are less re- tacky than start wings. over. Yeah, no. Then like yes. fuzzy, like people fuzzy think animal they are, hats. And then a, a week into having capes, people will be like, "Too many capes. They're ugly. They clip on char. Why did you even put them in the game arena net? Like after years of campaigning for capes, people would be mad about them instantly. Well, That's my prediction. Char, char you know, players this, are always upset. You because, can solve yeah, that. You know, nobody though. loves them. You can solve that, though, by having them not clip on Char. Like, you can design it so that that doesn't happen. Like, hey, they have the technology. I just want to say something. I think that's literally I impossible, be... and that's the reason that, that we haven't gotten <laughs> I, capes, right? I would be upset if they didn't clip. <laughs> Why? It wouldn't be original point, Guild Wars if they didn't clip. Right. I see. That is true. There was some amazing cape clipping in Guild Wars 1. But, like, but like listen, listen... Wings are super tacky when you're walking around on the ground. They're kind of tacky in general. It doesn't stop you from having them. (laughs) You run around with angel wings and, like, rabbit ears. But yeah, look, we Ion now, okay? Like, (laughs) it's no, like, man, that's mm, the tacky argument does not hold any ground for me, given what we already have in Guild Wars 2. Also, we have frickin' bows that shoot rainbow poop unicorns, like... Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as they introduced the dreamer, every it, I mean, yeah. as soon as they gave it a freaking arena net cutie mark on the ponies, like, oh, no, yeah, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm just gonna this uh, this episode is gonna be five minutes long. I am gonna retroactively <laughs> edit out everything Spirit said this episode <laughs> as protest. <laughs> It's you do realize it's literally just going to be me speculating then. Yeah, for like <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. That's it's thirty fine. minutes of Shongaku speculating wildly. <laughs> that is a cross I am willing to bear. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, you should check them out. They're good. Yeah. So is Guild Wars Reporter shut down then, or yeah. is there a new group taking it? As far as I know, it it is dead dead. Okay. Aw, oh, well, pour one out for, for those who have gone before. Do we need to, like, start, like, a podcast graveyard? I mean... We are the podcast graveyard. I mean, technically, yeah, we... we uh, Note the fact that we do, like, joint podcasts, and then a few weeks later, the podcast shuts down. That That has been a thing for as long as we've been alive. <laughs> as long as the show so has sad. existed. It's, it's, we it's killed our... Guildcast at one point, and I remember that there was a Chronicles they of Tyria did a roundtable. Oh, did we do? Oh no! Yeah, because Chronicles of Tyria, and then they all stepped away. We're like the Grim Reaper of Guild Wars <laughs> podcasts. Oh, no. <laughs> Too many necromancers. I was gonna say that, Reaper is the best secretly... specialization confirmed. 
that's secretly why I stopped booking guest hosts. It's not because I, we had a ridiculous schedule and we couldn't get anyone to like conform to our times. It was because I didn't want to kill any more podcasts. Oh, so who do we get to have on next? I, I think there's a German podcast that's been going for a while. I was going to say, uh, those, the Shadow of the Dragon people are pretty cool. <laughs> Sorry. We will be the longest running podcast. <laughs> Whether or not GuildWars2.com officially admits it. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, that oh, whole controversy. Was there... Oh, did, is there... Do they list a website uh, specific one as the longest running? Yeah, they said it was GuildMag, and us and Guild Wars Reporter have both been on longer. Oh, that's funny. Wow, that's harsh, guys. I mean, that we love harsh. you, but harsh. Was it GuildMag? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. It's stupid. I don't know. I don't think it was Guildmag because I th- no, I think Guildmag came to our pointed it out because I don't even remember who the other one was like it was one that I hadn't even heard of wasn't it one of the, was it the I German thought it was one? the German one it, it was the tower wasn't it the yeah, I thought it was Matt. actually potentially I thought said it was Matt Visual right. or something it was wh- <laughs> it was whichever one is actually partnered with Guild Wars two <laughs> but I don't remember which one it is. Yeah, whatever. I didn't actually, I, I wasn't like offended or anything, but I, no. I do remember I, I it was, was still sad. funny. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. We, we've, we continue. We, well, we do keep resurrecting ourselves. Yeah. They have Chronicles of Tyria listed. Yeah, Chronicles of Tyria, the fan site, is uh, partnered with them. Yeah, they still do, like. Technically, the Guildmad podcast. Oh, no, yeah, is, is been around longer than us they just have longer hiatuses than we do have they yeah because we're a guild wars what's... one podcast what's that they were a guild wars there one was... podcast back so the were day. we if you include yeah there was three like when relics was first starting out there was three and one was Guildcast, and one was us and i think the other one was guild mag but i don't know in which order they started i think it was Guildcast. Uh, relics and then guild mag and it was really? it was all like within the same two weeks as well um but it was before my time in relics it was a few like a couple months before i joined and so i had heard about this stuff from from ryan and yeah because you were like relics 12 Coast. yeah i was it was a long time ago yeah we're being literal <laughs> there guys because it's it's been like 30 years since we started podcasting holy crap how old do you think we are <laughs> Like, not just me, but collectively, you added 30 years to everyone. <laughs> We're all 29. I'm not sure. anymore. <laughs> Actually, Spirit, are you the only one who's under 30? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We're if we all, can ever get Edie back on the podcast. Men. That's true. He's, oh, yeah, he's, he's in, he's in he's Discord. Do you want me to just drop? Than me. Eggman. No, this has gone far <laughs> off the rails. We need yeah, to say I goodbye. Mean, yeah, we <laughs> I just assumed Grybok was cutting most of this at this point. Oh, oh yeah, that's a terrible assumption. <laughs> <laughs> okay, send me your finished product, Grybok. I'll clean up the back end. <laughs> oh, if that's not innuendo, I don't know what it is. Um, but... <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm just I'm still laughing about not editing out uh Alona saying black line bitches from that episode. <laughs> she was like <laughs> and Celeste was like, You're gonna edit that out. No, no, I'm not. Welcome to Relics of War. We don't edit out people cousin. Oh. Uh 
I remember when I was like, I'm going to gacky every time someone cusses, and then I just gave up. We're actually pretty good about cussing, I think. I mean, we're not yeah. completely safe well, for no. work, but we don't cuss that often. It's true. Our rating is explicit no. Not I mean, that's just clean. because nobody actually checks. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> well, I, I'm going to get going, guys. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, well, we will be back next week sometime this time about. And I guess we'll actually talk about the second thing that I was talking about, planning to talk about tonight at the beginning, but never happened. So thank you for joining me, co-hosts, and thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. This has been another episode of Relics of War. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website and forums at relicsofwar.com, email us at relicsofwar at gmail.com, or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching Relics of ORR. If you'd like to join us in-game, you can send a whisper or in-game mail to Spiritface, or drop us a note on Twitter or our website and say hi. Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve. <laughs>